And, and I do this, I don't know if you've picked up on it, but most of the times when I pray, I want the Holy Spirit here to, and the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to the Word because that's His role. That's His job as part of the Trinity. And we can pray and ask God to do that. We can ask Jesus to do that. That's fine. But we need to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that does it. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And when, when I'm sitting down to, to read my Bible, uh, whenever that is or however that is, I need to first pray that the Holy Spirit would open and reveal that to me. Because that's the only way I'm going to get it. The only way that it is possible to know anything about God, the only way it is possible to know anything that is true, is only if the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We can't figure it out any other way. Because if we could figure it out any other way, what's not needed? Holy Spirit. If I can come up to truth on my own, then I don't need God. I don't need God to reveal it to me if I can do it on my own. And so God has all truth. God is truth. And God reveals his truth to us through the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit if we're going to know anything about God because he's the spirit of truth. Um, And so it's very important that if we sit down to listen to a program, if we're going to read the the Bible, if we're going to read a book, a commentary, or anything that might help us uh, learn, if we're going to come into a, a Sunday night or a Sunday school classroom or a small group or, or a sermon, any time where, where truth may be presented, we need to pray first before we get there that the Holy Spirit would open our minds to it, would open our hearts to it, that we might understand and grasp the truth, that he would reveal it to us personally. And that's how a thousand people can come into a Sunday morning service hear the exact same sermon from the exact same passage and walk out with a thousand ideas of how it's supposed to be lived out. Because the Holy Spirit opened it up to them individually how they're to live it out, what they need to know, the next layer for them personally in their journey. Spirit of truth. Number five is the spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, do you know what that means? If anyone denied that the first five books of the Bible, that's considered the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of the law, if anyone rejected those and two or three people were witnesses of their rejection, they were put to death. Tolerance? Relativity? (laughs) I don't think so. Objective truth. That was Old Testament. Now, we have this law of grace that is being applied. And he is the spirit of grace. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and and who has insulted the spirit of grace? Because see, now we can go and we can find grace. We can find mercy in the Lord because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of the promise. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the promised sacrifice. We look backwards to the promised sacrifice. We look forward to that being completed in heaven, to our salvation being completed. And it is the spirit of grace. It is, it is the Holy Spirit who administers that grace to us. 
God came up with the plan. Jesus carried it out. The Holy Spirit makes it real to us. And so I hope even in just five names, you're beginning to to add that layer and that understanding that, wow, the Holy Spirit really is important to this whole Christianity thing. That he's really the one that at this point, from Pentecost until now, he's been doing all the work. Where's God? Where's God at, at? Right now, God the Father, where's he at? In heaven. Where's Jesus? Sitting at his right hand. Where's the Holy Spirit? With us doing all the work. Okay? And, and so many times we don't realize that. We don't think about that, that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing all the work right now. That's not a slam to Jesus and God. Don't read me wrong on that. Because, okay, never mind, I won't go there. I've got stories of who worked and who didn't on the missions trip, but I'm not going to share them now. We'll save them for later. Jim Taylor worked. That's all I'm saying. Jim Taylor was a worker, as far as you all know. And I have pictures to prove it. So, The spirit of grace. The, the scripture's talking about that there's no forgiveness for the one who deliberately keeps on sinning. The one who deliberately uh, insults what Jesus has done. That, that, that the rejection of Moses' law was punishable by death, but how much more the rejection of what Jesus did will be punishable by death as well. Eternal death. Forever death. And the Holy Spirit is the one who administers or makes real in a person's life the grace that is available. It's the Holy Spirit, again, that reveals what has been done, uh, what Christ has done. Grace simply means being that, that we receive the good thing that we don't deserve. We pray to God through Jesus. He's our mediator. <clears throat> he says, I'm sending you another counselor, and we're going to get to that name in just a little bit, that's going to come and live through you. And when we have trouble, when our spirit has trouble praying to Jesus, Holy Spirit takes over and prays for us when, when we don't know exactly how to pray. So, yeah, in the prayer thing, we're praying through Jesus as our mediator to God the Father. When you said you prayed to have the Holy Spirit here with us tonight, Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm inviting him. And again, that's through Jesus and, and sins. Yes, I am through Jesus. Yes, yes. Number six, spirit of life. Romans 8, 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> that the life of the believer is lived through the Holy Spirit. That, that it's the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit that regenerates life. It's the Spirit that, that as Jesus said, we must be born again. We're of water and the Spirit. That, that it's the Spirit that gives us life. All of, all of our life is lived through the Spirit as the Spirit guides because the Spirit is within us. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit in me, guiding me. Holy Spirit guiding me the way that Jesus reveals to him that God has revealed to Jesus. Jesus sends it to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works with my spirit to make it happen. That, that's kind of the, the, the system, if you will, of how this is going to work. Okay? Truth, 
what my life is supposed to be, what God wants to do with me. God tells Jesus, Jesus tells the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit now begins working that out in my life. And uh, so he's very active and he's the spirit of life. It's how we live. We live through the spirit. First John talks about that. The book of First John talks about that a lot, uh, the life in the spirit. Number seven, spirit of wisdom. Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Okay? That we, and, that, and that wisdom is, we've talked about it. Uh, that, that Paul oftentimes includes all three of the Trinity in his writings. So here we have the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ um, and giving us the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom, wisdom to know him better, that we might, that we might begin to understand, <clears throat> and then as the Spirit of life, we might begin living it out because wisdom takes more than just knowledge. Okay, there's knowledge and then there's wisdom. They're different. Wisdom is knowledge that has experience behind it. Okay, so if I just want knowledge, if I'm just here to gain knowledge and walk out with no change of life, with no impact in how I'm going to live my life, I just gain some knowledge, it's not what God's after. God's after about transformation. God's after about change, that that he wants to change us from the inside. He wants to change our mind. We talked about R.C. Sproul a few weeks ago um, in the sermon and again this morning, but... How the change happens, that when you change the mind, you can change the life. And so that wisdom is he wants to change our, our mind. He wants to change the way we think so that we can then live differently. Because we won't change the way we live if we don't change our mind on a certain topic. We'll just continue to do the same thing we always did until we are thoroughly convinced that we need to make the change. Then, through the Holy Spirit... We make the change. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings us that knowledge, that brings us that understanding. Spirit of wisdom. Okay? Um, number eight, the counselor. <clears throat> John fourteen twenty six. all this I have spoken while still with you, Jesus is telling his disciples. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Okay, again, <laughs> like seven words in this sentence. Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in Jesus' name. They're all working together on this. <clears throat> will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Some use the word counselor. Some use comforter, um, the, uh, that he's going to send another comforter along with us. The actual Greek word is paraclete, uh, is what it means. It means someone who's going to come alongside you. Um, this is going to come along inside you. Um, <clears throat> it's actually a court term. This is the one who pleads another's cause before a judge. Okay, so a paraclete, this counselor, this comforter, this advocate, this Holy Spirit is going to come alongside of us and plead our case as a defense attorney before the judge. So he's going to work with us that we might be able to stand before the judge. Why? Because he's the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace and the spirit of life. And so he is perfectly qualified to come alongside us and prepare us to stand before the judge, to to go on our behalf, to go before us uh, to the judge. It's it's a legal term that the Holy Spirit represents us to the Father. 
<clears throat> okay? Much the same way Jesus does. <clears throat> the, Jesus is our mediator. The Holy Spirit is our defense attorney uh, in, the, in the case, all right? Number nine, spirit of sonship. <clears throat> and a lot of these we'll begin unpacking even more of as we walk through these next eight weeks. The spirit of sonship, Romans 8.15. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the pneuma you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the pneuma of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a pneuma that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the pneuma of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The pneuma himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might, may also share in his glory. They use the word sonship. This is the, also the spirit of adoption, that we are made, adopted as children of God. That we are, in all legal aspects, a child of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. He's the spirit of sonship. He makes that transaction possible. If I want to go, if I want to adopt a child, there's legal papers that have to be filed. You have to go before a judge. Who's going to take you before the judge that you might get those done? Your lawyer, your attorney, your, in our case, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our advocate, our paraclete. He takes us before the judge and we then are adopted by God. Now, luckily, our adoptive father is also the judge. So that kind of, you know, see how that works? <laughs> you know, every analogy breaks down eventually. Um, but the, that spirit of adoption, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in, Spirit in our life that makes us the adopted children of God. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a child of God. If you are a child of God, then you have the Spirit. It's the Spirit that makes the difference because he's the Spirit of sonship. He's the spirit of adoption. And so you cannot be a Christian and not have the spirit of God in you. It doesn't work that way. It's all part of the deal uh, of how all that works. Okay, and we're, again, we're going to start unpacking these things as we move along in layers. Number 10, spirit of holiness. <clears throat> Romans 1.4, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as, to, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, we got all three wrapped up in these three or four verses here. Um, this spirit of holiness is he's the spirit of perfection. Moral purity. There, there is no falsehood. There is no stain. Uh, there is no dent in anything of the Spirit. He is morally, purely perfect in every aspect. Just as God is perfect. God says, as I am holy, what? You be holy. Just like he is holy. Well, how is that possible? How can I possibly be holy the way God is holy? Through the spirit of holiness. He can make me holy again. It's a process. It's called sanctification. 
process of being made holy, the process of being set apart. We're going to spend one whole week talking about what that word means and begin unpacking that word. We may ruffle a few feathers because there's a lot of different doctrines probably in this room about the doctrine of sanctification and that being made holy and what that looks like. Um, So he's the spirit of holiness. He's the, I got one more. It's not in your notes because I already printed the notes and then went, ooh, I forgot this one, left it out. So it's in my notes, not in your notes. Number 11 is the spirit of promise. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The spirit of promise. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, this was on one occasion while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of promise. He's the one that Jesus promised. When they were sitting in the upper room and Jesus began, uh, began unpacking the, the truth of this counselor, this comforter, this advocate, this paraclete that's going to come alongside them. John chapter 14, 15, 16 all happened in the upper room. Uh, we talked about that in the life of Christ, that that, that upper room experience was more than communion. Uh, it was an incredible teaching time, uh, and, and much of the last few chapters of John uh, were what Jesus taught them uh, up there, 14, 15, and 16. And, and, and so as he's unpacking this idea of this comforter that, that he is coming, that, that he's going to come, and now Jesus is saying this spirit of promise is going to come upon you in a few days. You just have to wait for it. And, and now we have that spirit of promise, that, that this is a very key name as it gives assurance that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to meet the requirements of God for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus says, I'm going to be, this is basically what he's telling them, I'm going to be crucified for the sins of mankind. I'm going to be buried, and three days later, I'm going to rise. And a few days after that, I'm going to ascend to the Father and be seated at the right hand of God. And when that happens, you wait. Because when I go and close the deal with God, when I present myself to the Father, and he sees that, that I have sacrificed, that I have paid the penalty, he's going to look at my life and he's going to say, Yes, son, Jesus, you have met all the requirements that I have for perfection, for perfect life. You've lived sinless, perfect, and your willingness to die for those people. Now that you are back with me, the deal is complete. And as a promise that the deal is complete... I'm sending the Holy Spirit back to them, and boom, Pentecost happens, and we now have the Holy Spirit living in us, through us, and among us. So this Holy Spirit is the spirit of promise. It's the one that assures us that that transaction has taken place and is sufficient, that Christ died and his death is sufficient to forgive my sins. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit is proof of that. He's the spirit of promise. He's the one that closes the deal. Um, And so if God's standard had not been met, the Holy Spirit would not have been sent. But it was. Jesus fulfilled it, fulfilled all the law, fulfilled all the prophets, fulfilled everything God required. And he did it on our behalf. And so as a promise of what is yet to come, 
the Holy Spirit has come. So there's 11 names. There's more you could read through. There's a lot of other things. There's some that I purposely just kicked out because time. I knew, you know, I even gave you 10 and then added one more after that. So uh, those are 11 names. You'll find others as you read through the scripture that will be called the spirit of something. And that word is key to begin adding those layers and begin understanding and seeing how the Holy Spirit is working, how he is living in our life and, and desires to live through us. And so as we begin to paint this picture of of you know, the spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, spirit of grace, of life, of wisdom, the counselor, the spirit of sonship, holiness, all of that working together to the spirit of promise. And we begin to get a clearer picture of what Jesus is and God the Father are wanting to do to us, through us, in us, through the Holy Spirit. And he's active. He's working. He's the one that's at work right now. And so we probably ought to know him as well or better than we understand to know the other two. Allow God and Jesus to be a mystery for a while. You don't have to have all the answers, but begin to understand the Holy Spirit because how are we going to get the answers? Through the Holy Spirit. So we better understand how the Holy Spirit works so that we can better understand God the Son and God the Father. So very important that we begin focusing uh, over these next few weeks on this. Let me see if I get any questions on the names. I tend to just and assume you got it. The glazed looks mean absolutely nothing to me. Yeah. I'm just thinking what you said there was so interesting. We can only know God and Jesus through the Holy Spirit Exactly. And so there's so much more to know and so much more to understand and, and change and begin living out. And so hopefully this will start all that. Anything else? Yeah, Craig. Yes. If they, you, you added it right there at the end. They continued and did not repent. I think so. Spirit of grace. Yes. That was the, they rejected Moses. How much more if they reject Jesus? Yep. There's a sin that so easily entangles us. But what are we doing with it? I'm not saying that necessarily. This is, a, this is a willful, I don't care what you say, God, I'm going to do it anyway. And I know that you can forgive me. I know that it's wrong, but I'm going to continue to do it anyway. Now, the, the person who does that has some problems. The person who says, oh, I did it again, Lord, help me, help me, and humbly comes and asks for forgiveness. When you sin, if you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful. If you confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no time limit. There's no amount to that. But it's the person who willfully disobeys, who says, I don't care, God. I'm going to do it anyway. I've been doing it all my life, and I'm going to continue to do it. To what whole thing? I'm going to get what I want to get. I don't know how, I mean, I know what the end result is. 
Good question. <laughs> where, where does it end out, up at? I am a person that believes if you can ask for forgiveness and salvation and get it, you can reject it and lose it. Now, not everyone in this room probably agrees with me on that. Most would say, well, you never had it in the first place. That's semantics, and I'm not interested in semantics. I'm interested in a believer growing. And if a believer starts to go off course, then we have, an op- we have a responsibility and an obligation to them to help bring them back on. Whether they were ever saved and that's why they're off course, I'm not going to get into that argument. I want to know where they're at and where they're going. I don't really care where they've been. Um, and so, yeah, it can be a semantics issue if you're there. But I, I do believe that people can be saved and then lose that salvation. Um, Judas is a key one on that. Um, if Judas didn't, wasn't a true follower, then when Jesus sent him out two by two, someone got gypped. Okay, they got the bad seed. Judy. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you, if you, if you willfully disobey, and you, but yet you humbly come back. I mean, didn't we all willfully disobey at some point? We were all led by the, you know, the, the sin nature within us. And if we humbly come back, yes, we will always receive grace. Again, that's why God's the judge, and I need the Holy Spirit to present me before him because I can't do it on my own. The sooner you straighten it out, the better, for sure. Ray. Right. It would have been better to have never repented, James says, than to have repented and then turned against, turned away from that. You'd have been better off if you'd have just never followed Christ in the first place, followed God in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why God and that's why God doesn't leave us to be the judge of that. The judge of the heart. We can judge actions. We can be fruit inspectors. We can look at a person's life and make judgment calls on them, but we're not condemning them. We're not judging them for eternity. That's God's role. Um and so yeah, that that's a, a matter of the heart between them and God and God knows. Yeah, sure. Most definitely. He will pursue you. He pursues, I mean, he pursues the lost. He pursues the Christian who has veered off. He's the good shepherd who will leave the 99, go look for the one. Yep, that's, that's who he is. Yep, very much so. Okay, symbols. We talk about uh, uh, symbols. Here's a definition of a symbol. It's when we take an, an object that is well-known and we use it to help explain or make clear a lesser-known object. So it's when I'm going to take something, kind of like an illustration, I'm going to take something that we know, we understand that, I, I, I see how that works, and I'm going to apply it to this object over here that we don't understand so well. And so these symbols of the Holy Spirit are hopefully something that we can get a clear picture of, that we can begin to get a better picture of the Holy Spirit that maybe we don't understand so well. The real danger in this is finding a symbol in everything. Okay, not everything is a spiritual symbol of something 
all right? But like every analogy, it eventually breaks down, which we already did at one point tonight. If we've already run one out its course and it, it fell apart. These will do that too. So take what you can get, paint that picture, begin to gain the understanding, and understand that it will break down eventually. Um, symbol number one, a dove. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him or landing on him. Here Jesus is at his baptism by John in the river, and not only baptized in the water, but now he's baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him. Uh, now, I don't want to get into, well, did that mean he didn't have the Holy Spirit before? He was Jesus, Okay. He was God. This was a visual for all of those around him that this guy's now going to start doing things a little different because God has spoken. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit is involved. Yeah, Jesus was pretty much on track before the baptism. He didn't need to be baptized. You and I kind of need to follow in that obedience. He didn't need it for anything, he was perfect. He did it for our benefit. He did it as an example to show us uh, the way. And so the Holy Spirit upon him now sets, he's on a new course. His life now, he's going to start his earthly ministry uh, from this point. Bill. Right. Again, it was, a, it was for those that are around. Right. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have the fullness of the Spirit. It was a signal to John. It was a symbol to show John that this was the guy. This is the one you've been waiting for. Maybe it was clear and they turned their back or they didn't get it. They thought a bird just flew and lit on him. So, yeah, some don't get it. I mean, you can present the gospel. You can present truth clear as, as, as glass, and some people just aren't going to get it. But, again, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it. It takes the Holy Spirit to open up and, and, and then us to be able to receive it by faith. So here we have the dove. Uh, Holy Spirit is seen as the dove descending upon him. The dove is oftentimes a symbol of purity. You know, the white dove uh, seen as the, the symbol of, of gentleness a uh, symbol of peace, you know, the, the dove with the olive branch, you know, of peace and those kinds of things. Uh, we had to laugh because in the, in the DR this last week, we're driving, we have about a 30-minute ride, something like that, from where we were staying to the, the city of San Francisco where we were working. And, uh, and on that drive, we drove past rice paddies. I mean, miles and miles of rice paddies that I didn't even know they grew in the DR. Um, but they do. And uh, all over these rice paddies were these white birds. Um, that a lot of different understandings of why the birds were there. Some said they were eating the frogs that destroyed. They were eating bugs. They were, we don't know, but they were helpful because the farmers liked them um, there. And someone said, well, isn't that the, the birds that represent the Holy Spirit? And we said, well, no, that would be a dove. These are long-legged white egrets. Um, and so then the whole joke the whole time was that the long-legged white egret is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Not true, it is the dove. Okay? The application for us is that we must be filled the way Jesus was. We must be baptized 
by the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There must come, A.B. Simpson says in this volume two, the Holy Spirit, there must come a crisis hour in the life of every Christian when he too steps down into the Jordan of death. When he yields, again, this is painting a picture. We don't actually have to go to the Jordan. When he yields his will to fulfill all righteousness like his master, when he voluntarily assumes the life of self-renunciation and service, which God has appointed for him in his holy will, and when there is added to him as a divine trust the Holy Ghost. Henceforth it is not one but two, and then these two are one. Okay? The whole idea of of the Holy Spirit coming and and working in us and through us. Uh, Bill. To show what? What he just said there. That it's a crisis hour? That's point. Because he's apparently talking about after initial conversion. After initial conversion. So what scripture does he use? We'll get to it when we talk about sanctification. Uh, that will be one of the ones that, that we will talk about that crisis point of sanctification and then the experiential that we begin to experience the, the being set apart. Sanctification is going to be April 3rd. Lesson number six. Mark that on your calendars. You won't want to miss it. Number two. Dove is also a down payment or earnest money. Okay, that's number two, a down payment. Second Corinthians, we kind of talked about this as the spirit of promise. Second Corinthians 5.5, 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, what does a down payment do? hold something, or actually you can take it. I put a down payment on a house. It's the only money I forked over. I get to move into the house. Because why? What does that down payment signify? Promise Promise that I'm going to make those payments the rest of the way and I will pay it off. Um, And so I'm giving earnest money. I'm giving a down payment. The Holy Spirit is our down payment from God that he's going to carry out the rest of the plan. Okay, he says, this is my down payment. This is my earnest. This is my deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's God's down payment of what? Eternal life. Heaven. Eternal life. Uh, his presence in full. His, he says, you know what? I'm going to take my spirit. Spirit of God. Spirit of Christ. Spirit of promise. Spirit of adoption. Spirit of grace. And I'm going to put that in you as a down payment so that you live in the presence of the Holy Spirit as a taste of what it's going to be like to live in my presence for all eternity. So the Holy Spirit is a taste of heaven. It's a taste of what it's going to be like to live with God. To see him, feel him, sense him, be guided, directed, know him. It's a down payment. Not the full thing. That's coming. But it's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing that salvation will at some point be complete. So the moment of salvation, God says, I'm going to put this deposit in you. Guaranteeing that it's going to be complete. That there's going to be full salvation at some point. That you're going to experience. Now when I say full salvation, all your sins are forgiven right now. But you're not experiencing the fullness of God at this point. That there's going to become a time of heaven when Christ returns. And that's what the down payment is for. That's what the Holy Spirit is. I'm giving you a taste of what it's going to be like in heaven. Okay? Some of us just kind of ignore that. Because we've even said, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit living in me means. 
well, it means a down payment of what heaven's going to be like. So we probably need to know it. We probably need to rely on it. Uh, it's the start of heaven in us uh, that we can live it out now through the Holy Spirit, that we can begin to live out heaven, that we can begin to live out eternal life now, that we can begin to experience the presence of God now. Now I see through a glass darkly, but then I will see face to face. So right now there's some cloudiness, there's a little fog, there's a little not totally understanding everything. I'm learning, I'm seeing a little clearer, and this Holy Spirit is a deposit that sometime I'm going to see him face to face. And so right now we're like, well, why can't it be like that now? It will be. Holy Spirit is the promise that it will be. But now we need to begin seeing him. We need to begin living in that presence, begin acknowledging that presence within us. It's a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Number three, he's a seal, not, you know, our, 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 our seal, okay? Ephesians 1, 13, 14, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is kind of building on the, the last one that we just saw. Second Corinthians 1, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. This is Paul saying, makes us where we are and you where you are, all believers, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, so here we have this, this seal and this deposit. Um, when a king would put his seal on something, it signified authority and ownership of that thing. So if the king wrote a, a law or an edict or, or some message that needed to go to another king or go to another person, in order to validate that as authority from the king, he placed his seal on it. He would seal that message, and if the seal was broken, then you don't know where it came from. But as long as the seal was there, you knew that it came from the king. The Holy Spirit is God's seal upon us. We are his, that we have his authority, that we have his power, that, that we have his ownership, that, that we are owned by God. That, that we belong to the king. The Holy Spirit is proof of that. Okay? It also signified the king's approval of whatever was being sealed. So God's also putting his seal on us as not only are we his, but he approves of us. Now that should lighten your step just a little bit in the morning when you get up. That the king of all glory the creator of heaven and earth approves of you. Enough to put his spirit in you. To live through you. To want to, to create a little piece of heaven through you. Everywhere you go. Everything you say. Everything you do. He approves of you. If we're in obedience, if we're going to listen to that spirit, if we're going to, to add to our understanding and, we, and begin living that out, that we, we live like we are a deposit, like we are, a, are sealed, like, like our life is of promise, 
and, and that our life is just a taste of what is yet to come. God does amazing things through people like that. Every one of us who is a believer has that potential within us because we have the Holy Spirit. Number four, fire. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This idea that there were tongues of fire, I, we always just picture flames. I don't know if it was actually a tongue of fire. I don't know. We, we saw some animals hanging along the roadside with the tongue hanging out of the butcher stand uh, driving back and forth uh, to the work site, but a uh, you know, tongue of fire uh, on them. This is, is referring to what happened at Pentecost. And, and fire purifies things, doesn't it? Burns off all the excess. Burns off all the impurities. And, and you get to really the, the solid. I don't understand the whole chemical aspect of that. And probably if you work at AK Steel, you might understand it. I know you understand it better than me. Uh, with the whole purifying process of steel and, and burning it out to where you're in, and gold and things like that to where you burn off the impurities. fire hardens in a good way, makes it strong, that, that the Holy Spirit purifies us, that the Holy Spirit strengthens us to where we can withstand the battles of the world, we can withstand an onslaught of the enemy, that we can withstand a lot of stuff that this world's going to throw at us because the Holy Spirit, the fire, has purified us, has hardened us. Fire also softens, melts. And so you take the flip side of that, and he's going to soften our hearts to where we have a better understanding and love for people, to, to where we, we just want to help, to where we just want to pour out and love people. We always say that the same sun that hardens clay melts wax. And so are you more clay or are you more wax? Are, are we being being softened and, and to where we can be molded and then purified and, and strengthened to withstand what, what's happening. Fire does it. The Holy Spirit does that. That's part of his role. That he has the, uh, also in that, fire has the ability to be quenched. We can put out the Holy Spirit. We can quench that fire. We can bury it. We can throw junk on top of it to where it, it can't burn where it can't do what it's designed to do. And it says in Scripture not to quench the Holy Spirit. It's that fire. Number five, water. Okay, it's both fire and water. How do those two mix? John 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. By this, this water, this the river of living water, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See? Because the Spirit hadn't been given because Jesus hadn't gone and presented himself to, Jesus, or to God the Father yet and presented himself. And then when he was glorified and put at the, seated at the right hand of God and, and that the, the transaction had been complete, the Holy Spirit came. We see him as water. What does water do? What? Quenches thirst, cleans, puts out fires, refreshes. You know, we took a lot of water breaks. So long as it's 
pure water. We were told in the Dominican, don't drink the water. There's bad water out there. Okay? But pure water, the Holy Spirit will, will guide us, will cleanse us, will refresh us, will satisfy us, will produce growth in us. It's a necessity of life. You can go a lot longer without food than you can without water. How long can you go without food of any kind? 40 days. 40 days. I mean, we we hear a 40-day fast. We've been reading the Bible that people have done that. Jesus did it. How long can you go without water? Three days, I've heard. Someone said three days without water. If you don't have any water, you're just going to begin to dry up on the inside. How long can you last without the Holy Spirit? I'll give you three days. I wouldn't want to try it that long. Because the Holy Spirit's going to refresh us. It's going to cleanse us. It's going to, to, to put new life back in us and, and allow things to grow. Allow God to grow in us. Allow His Spirit to grow in us. Allow, allow the goodness of God to, to come out and produce fruit. We're going to talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is as we get there. Wind. And I know we're at seven right now. John 3, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one, it's 7 o'clock, sorry. Number 6 is wind, we're at 7 o'clock. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. It is with, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This whole idea of, of sovereignty, that the Holy Spirit comes and goes and moves, and you, you can't always tell. You can't. The best you can do is put up a sail and try to catch it. But you can't control the wind. You, you, you can't always see where it's coming from. You don't always see it coming, and all of a sudden, poof, it's there. We stepped off the airplane last night in JFK after, five, after a week of 85 to 95 degree weather. Sorry. Suffering for Jesus, that's what we said, right, Jim? <laughs> we stepped off the plane, and I stepped into the tunnel to get into the, and whoosh, this blast of cold air, because it was 35 at JFK. I'm still wearing shorts and a T-shirt. I didn't see that wind coming. I didn't see where it went after it hit me. I couldn't control it. The Holy Spirit is the wind. It's sovereign. It has power. I mean, the wind is very powerful. Okay, I've seen the effects of tornadoes. You've seen hurricanes. Maybe you've been through a tornado or a hurricane. You've seen the effects and the power of wind. We can see signs of it. It's the Holy Spirit. You can see signs of the Holy Spirit. You can see power of the Holy Spirit. You can see what the Holy Spirit does. You can see the effects of it, how it's changed people. How the Holy Spirit has come in and, and he's changed lives. We don't see him, but he's there. He's real. We can feel him. We can feel the effects and see the aftermath of the Holy Spirit. Number seven, wine. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine. Be drunk on the Spirit. Basically, how the analogy is going. To be filled, to be being filled. Uh, wine is, what does wine do? A little bit of wine might cheer us up a little. Okay, we're looking from a worldly standpoint. It, it has a cheering effect. 
a lot of wine has a controlling effect. Okay? That's why he's saying don't be drunk on wine. Don't be controlled by the wine of this world. Instead, be filled, be controlled, be cheered by the Holy Spirit. It's a stimulant. Wine stimulates. The Holy Spirit stimulates. The Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit brings healing. Wine is healing. Timothy was told to, uh, I think it was Timothy, told that for his stomach problems, drink some wine every day. That's what Paul told him to do. Because that, that wine will go and, and the fermenting of the wine will, will help heal. Most people believe he had stomach ulcers of some kind. Timothy must have been a worrier. And and that will heal you. He said, so take a little wine every day for what's ailing your stomach. So there's a healing power in wine too in the right dosages. Holy Spirit heals. Number eight, oil. We'll talk more about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number eight is oil. First Samuel, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. What does oil do? Oil purifies, oil consecrates, oil heals, oil lubricates, oil illuminates. You can burn oil so that you can see oil burning lamps. Uh, and so you're, you're able to see with oil. So the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate, is going to, uh, to heal uh, through that. We anoint with oil, okay? Now, Matthew 25, and I'm going to leave this just up for you. I give this, this last part just for your own personal study. As we talk about oil, uh, there's a parable of the ten virgins where they're waiting for the, bride, or for the groom to come and, and to receive the groom. And five of them are prepared. They all have oil in their lamps. Five of them are prepared with extra oil in case the groom is late. The other five didn't plan so well, and their oil went out and they lost their lamps, and they missed the groom. Okay? That oil is not a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You can't get more of the Holy Spirit. Let's just look at that. I'll let you, but the problems, let's go to number three. The problems with seeing the holy, uh, the oil here representing the Holy Spirit, not the holy here representing the Holy Spirit. The oil here. It suggests that you can have more of the Holy Spirit. You can't. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean you get more of the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit gets all of you. Okay? It's not you getting more. When you come to know the Lord, when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit moves in you, that's all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. There's no more to get. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have control of? So that analogy of the, the ten virgins breaks down. The idea that you can share the Holy Spirit. I can't give somebody else the Holy Spirit. He's not mine to give. Okay? I can't share the Holy Spirit with someone else and then give him what I have. It has to come from God. God sends the Holy Spirit. The idea that you can buy more of the Holy Spirit. Can't do that. Can't buy it. It's a free gift by grace. Lord saying, I don't know you. He would know carnal, non-spirit-filled Christians. When I say spirit-filled, doesn't mean that they don't have the Spirit. They're just not filled, controlled by Okay, there are carnal Christians that will be in heaven. The entire book of 1 Corinthians was written to a whole city full of them. Okay, they even referred to them uh, in that way. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're not reaching their full potential. So the Lord would not have said, I do not know you, 
to a carnal Christian, to, to a new or, or a struggling or one that's still tripping over themselves, but, you know, isn't mature. Um, the Lord still knows them. And then separation that it involves in the body of Christ, that five have it, five don't, there's separation. No, we're all one body with that. Craig. They did it by some other authority. What authority would that have been? Yep. I mean, and, and I mean, Satan's cunning and crafty. And if he can say, have someone say, you know, I'm going to cast this evil spirit out of this person, and the evil spirit leaves, but it wasn't of God, then, okay, I can sucker people away from God into this other thing just by rearranging my demons. Bill. I think if you read that passage, this is what they claim to have did. Jesus didn't say they did that. True. We don't know that they did it. They claim to do it. Yeah. But even if they did actually do it, it would have been from a demonic power. Um, because even like when uh, with Moses, when he did all the things, the magicians did them too. Pharaoh's magicians did some of them, um, just like Moses did. So Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And he can mimic a lot of things and make it look good, but it's still not real. Um, you know, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what is real. Okay? There's your symbols. Uh, there's your names. Next week, we're going to talk about the personality. Uh, what does it mean that, that he's a person, the Holy Spirit is a person? And what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is God? So the personality and the deity. Let me pray for you. Father,